0: You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast.
1: Welcome to HCH what? Radio. Whoa. It's, that's a lie. I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not real. It's just a podcast. And we're not fooling anybody. No. They just... They because just Fred told. <laughs> Gweedy introduces it every week. Every time. Every time. He still caught me off guard. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, yeah,
0: I liked it. I liked it. It was good. If they, if you can't tell, this is a this is a creative commentary. <laughs> See, wh- why would they have that idea? Well, they clicked on it. They did. Wow. And we're just goofing. Wow.
1: That's <laughs> so, always always how it goes. It's a big tip off. We just get going. That's yeah. that's what happens. Yeah. So that's what we're gonna do. Yes. It's John. Yes. This week, probably. I want to say my favorite gospel. Sounds almost blasphemous to say I have a favorite gospel. Does
0: it, though? Does it really? I don't think so. Yeah. Because it's my favorite as well. Yeah, I mean, it's... And if you say it's blasphemous, then I feel bad. Woof. And convicted. (laughs) I'm just going to assume that it's not, and I'm going to (laughs) assume it's my favorite. But then, because you also. It was a big mind bend the first time I read it. It was like, wow. I was probably, weird thing, I was probably in high school at that (laughs) point. Because I've always been pretty undisciplined about reading literally anything. (laughs) When I read it through the first time, like cognizantly, I was like, oh, I had the... Had a loop thrown? Yeah, I was thrown. For, had I you thrown for a loop? Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, <laughs> the Lord fool.
1: threw me for uh, a
0: loop. Yeah, it's pretty rad.
1: Because it's such a different gospel. Yes, you know, because you have the synoptics, you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mm. which are all basically kind of the same. You know, lots of parallels. And then yeah, John, yeah, right, which right. has parallels, but is really, it's all in a category of its own. Would it,
0: would it be fair to say, and I don't know if I just invented this because I wanted to see this in the writing, but I was kind of left with the impression that John has this more intimate, personal, emotional take on things. Like, that just seems to be where he's coming from. Yes. Or the, or the way, you know what I mean? The way he even refers to himself. Everything about his approach and the way he talks felt different, I guess. Maybe that's yeah. just the subtext.
1: Many scholars, commentators, and theologians have called the gospel of John the spiritual gospel or the gospel of love um so it's a very
0: uh i'm I'm glad i'm not insane
1: (laughs) weird cough laugh there (laughs) it happens (laughs) you know yeah it happens so Uh. yeah it's the gospel of john today which is in a category of its own in fact i really liked what the scholar leon morris said about it one time he said, "The Gospel of John is both a pool that a child can wade in, and an ocean that an elephant can swim
0: in." Mm. You know why I like that so much? Why? Because around that time in high school, this is not a joke. I can—you were poised to laugh. I could see it in your face. I'm not going to. Okay.
1: Serious face. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, around that time when I first read it, and I was like, "Ooh," I was kind of enamored by that specific take. I also soon after heard that, like, "Oh, that's the one you recommend to beginners." I'm like, "Oh, well, I'm a fool. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just a beginner," <laughs> which I guess. <laughs> Given the context, (laughs) it's not completely wrong. Mm. But I felt a bit, I don't know, demeaned privately in my Mm. own mind. I was like, oh, great. I I understand that. Well, clearly, clearly Leon Morris is like, chin up. (laughs) Because... swimming elephants. I like elephants. I'm just going to put that on the table, too. Delightful creatures. Yes, they are. They truly are. So,
1: yeah, the Gospel of John. It is, coincidentally, indeed, as Leon Morris also pointed out, a good gospel for, you know, beginners, those who are new to the faith or those who are not even in the faith yet. It's a good primer and introduction to the faith. It is organized around seven signs and seven or eight, depending on... How you count them? That's Who you ask?
0: Ooh. Eight
1: I am statements. So as you're reading the Gospel of John, you want to keep an eye out for those. The first sign begins with the wedding at Cana, where the Lord turns water into literal gallons of wine. Yeah. Wolf doggy. What a party there. Clearly. <laughs> and then you have the I am statements. And the confusion around that seventh or eighth is around the interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees where they're talking and they're like, you are not yet 40 years old and yet you claim to have seen God. That whole discourse. And then at the end of it, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am.
0: Uh And so
1: depending on if you count that or not, you get eight. If you don't Technically count
0: that it's sort of like seven. a bonus one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like a bonus like statement. a nice little bonus statement.
0: It's like the vows and sometimes why. Wow. That is <laughs> just what an analogy. Just speaking in layman's <laughs> terms over here.
1: <laughs> Actually, in our series Enough, we did a couple years ago, which was about the I am statements. We counted that one. Oh. But then we combined the statements where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I am the gate, which are in the same kind of speech that he gives. He gives, yeah. he mentions both those in the same speech, so we combine those oh, for the sermon, okay. Okay. but they're still separate. It's just That's just trivia for you. That's just fun. But the reason John gives us those statements and arranges them the way he does is to help us in his own words. He gives his purpose statement at the end of the gospel, which I think is fun. You know, we're Westerners. We want that at the beginning, but he doesn't give it to the end. Uh, but he says he has written his gospel so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing we may have a life in his name. So that's what you want to kind of keep an eye out for as you're reading the Gospel of John, those seven signs and those seven or eight I am statements. Uh, But what we really want to drill down for the purposes of this creative commentary and what we're going to be linking it to here shortly is key theme of the revelation of the Father and Jesus's I am the true vine discourse. Because another theme that you see revealed throughout the Gospel of John is that the Father is perfectly revealed in the Son. Jesus says things like, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and whoever has seen me has seen the Father, which becomes a pretty key component of his godhood. You have a whole camp of people, not only today, but it was especially prominent back in the first few centuries of the church. People who believe that Jesus was just a human being, merely human. And that somehow the divine nature was like imparted to him. And oh, that he okay. kind of took in the divine nature at
0: some point. A different kind of order of operations. Here. Right.
1: But you have him making statements like these where he's yeah. equating himself with the father, which means he's saying he is God. And the Pharisees actually go so far as to accuse Jesus of blasphemy when he says right out, I and the father are one. Yeah. Uh, they're ready to stone him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're ready to kill him. And in fact, what they say is you, a man, make yourself to be. Be God.
0: But I assume they weren't willing to give him any credit for divinity whatsoever.
1: No. In fact, that whole incident was precipitated by them saying, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are really the Christ, just tell us. And then he goes on and says these things. And then it's like, are like, oh, i yes. Like, I'm, now we're going to
0: stone you. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. <laughs> yes. So when we look to Jesus, we see the perfect radiance of the Father. That, of course, means that Jesus is claiming to be God, that he is the perfect representation of God. Or to quote the author of Hebrews, he is is the perfect radiance of his glory. So our father hunger, to use terms that other theologians have used, and that will come back around a little bit in the work that we're going to be talking about, is kind of imparted to us through the mediator and the person of the Son in the Gospel of John. So that becomes a key theme in the Gospel, is how Jesus the Son reveals to us the Father, and he shows us what the Father is like. But the other theme that we want to really drill down on for the purposes of this particular episode is where in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Here, he reinforces a prayer pretty critical truth that I know I'm prone to forget because it's kind of inconvenient and painful. <laughs> what he basically says is that if we truly abide in him and if our faith is truly in him, the father will prune us so that we bear more fruit. What Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and my father is the vine dresser. And of course, that's not pleasant imagery if we're the branches because yeah, what no. that involves is someone taking sharp tools and trimming back parts of us. Yeah. Which, that's not my idea of a fun time. I don't want that happening to me.
0: It's not at the top of my list.
1: But... He does that so that we bear more fruit, is what Jesus says. In other words, he cuts away so that we might become more than we currently are, so that we might become more like Jesus, so that we might become more humans, that we might become, dare I say, more beautiful in that sense of the word, and that we might become more true. And as we abide in Jesus and keep his commands, and we demonstrate our love for him, not only does that happen, but he calls us his friends. So it's not just that, okay, well, I'm going to start by, uh, you know, I'm going to prune away and cut away and do all this painting stuff to make you more fruitful, but Jesus promises that he'll become our friend. We are his friends, and he will walk those hard and painful, lonely, dare I say, roads with us when those moments in our walk of faith come to us, he is the friend who will walk the hard road of sacrifice for us. And of course, he ultimately demonstrates that by going to the cross. That's the ultimate display of love. You remember Justin Kinsel, Liberty University? Yeah, I he wrote a song about that called He Is Love Displayed, which was always a Liberty favorite, but yeah. uh, good, good song. But those are the kind of things that John is really hitting on. And to go back to your original observation that John, his gospel is just so much more intimate and yeah. it feels more conversational and... Whereas Luke, you know, I love the Gospel of Luke, probably my favorite synoptic gospel. Really? But he writes his kind of like this, I don't know the exact terms to use, but it's this, it's a heartfelt gospel, like all the gospels are, but it's this kind of, it's biographical. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It does not surprise me Investigative that you like that. journaling kind of a thing. Yeah, it does sound like something you would appreciate. Yeah. Whereas John. It feels like more of a traditional narrative take. Yeah. In telling a story. Mm-hmm. Especially in the way that the end comes. You're like, oh what? Yeah. You know? That mm-hmm. that's like, okay, this is some storytelling here and a unique that's a unique way to package these biographical events.
1: Yes. It definitely, I think, of all the gospels has the effect of making Jesus not only appear divine and reveal the person of the Father, but it also makes him feel the most human. Yes. Like, oh, he is my friend. I could walk with this guy. You know, I could be with him. So that's the Gospel of John. And uh, those particular themes that we kind of honed in on there briefly have some unique links and tie-ins to a recent biopic. Yeah. A
0: recent film. Um, I like biopics. Yeah, you do. It's a recent discovery of mine that I particularly enjoy them. And this one... I only recently discovered because of you. Yeah, you're like, hey, there's this film called Genius. Yeah, and I'm really glad that I saw it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, for so many reasons. Fantastic. So, just um, hmm, how do I want to introduce you to this? Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dive into it. Do it. Just gonna dive right. So this begins with the introduction of two principal characters. We have the seasoned editor Maxwell Mm -hmm. and the fledgling, as of yet, undiscovered author Thomas Wolfe. If you know that name, you might know where this is going. I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a fun new journey, right? It was great. But I mean, you know, listen, if many of you don't know the name, great. I didn't either, and this was a wonderful experience, so, you know, buckle up. Yes. But early on in their relationship, as they first meet, it's kind of like a a teacher-student situation. Uh, Yeah. Max sees enormous potential locked away, and and he wants to hone it. You know, prune it, you might might say. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) Oh. like a good editor. And he wants to help get Tom's work into the hands of people in its best form, you know? Like you described, kind of uh, pruning, so it can become more beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very much the process of editing literature so you know that's what he does that's what maxwell does he edits and effectively in the process trains tom in the world of published literature how to communicate beauty and and the words it deserves and the ones that will do it justice and do so honestly right because for all his passion tom would write <laughs> like a hundred pages for every five that make it into the book yeah, he's like he couldn't he's, stop <laughs> he's a very feverish writer <laughs> So it's a lot of hard work in writing and editing, and it's a success. Yeah. Uh, His first book, it's a a pretty big deal. And that also sets some pretty high expectations for the future. Oh, boy. I cannot imagine. Crushing expectations. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Like when you just hit a home run, right, from minute one, how do you follow that up?
1: Yeah. It's now like every, up.
0: every season of every television show or, or second album of your favorite band. Like, can they do it again? Maybe not. Wolf. I don't know. D- if you're a fan of Thomas Wolf, I guess you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at this point in the film, we're going to fast forward. And the reason I want to specifically mention this little fast forward moment is because it's a montage. Mm-hmm. And they can often be hit or miss. In yeah. films, I mean, in montages. Boy, in The Conjuring, in the early point, I love that montage. Yeah, in King Arthur, in that beginning, I boy do I not love that montage. Wolf. bad montage. Just like, sorry, guy, Richie. I like the rest of the film. It's a fun little, it's a fun little thing. Not the montage. <laughs> this one. This is a good one. I like it. I can't maybe quite put my finger on why, but I think the key things. I, why am I spending so much time on this? Bear with me, <laughs> because with this you get a sense of the time passing. Right. You get a sense of the relationships evolving, and you, underneath all of this, have a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. You know, before you realize, surprise, it's been two years of this. Right. They have been working on book number two for two years of constant editing, constant writing, and things have changed over the. Time and after the success of the first book and all of this work they've done together, they're now something kind of resembling creative equals. Right. Maybe not quite, but in a sense that they're able to talk more easily and engage more sharply over things and and have more direct and honest conversations. They can kind of yeah. talk on the same playing field yeah. for the first time. And mm-hmm. this teacher-student relationship has now become a real friendship and not just the you believed in my work and I'm eternally grateful. You know that's where it started. Yeah. And it's 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 somewhere new now that's like it's gotten meat. Yeah. And they can spar over these editorial decisions, you know, as Maxwell continues to edit and hone Tom's work. But as you'd expect, at this point, the more things get edited, the more Thomas feverishly drafts up more pages and pages and pages and hundreds of pages of story. <laughs> if you didn't get that idea from <laughs> earlier, that's that's just kind of his style. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he cannot stop. It's kind of endearing. You know, it's like that's impressive. I wish I could do literally anything that obsessively. <laughs> It's kind of maybe not a wholly positive, beneficial thing, but it's still impressive, right? Yeah. But look, if it sounds like it's this all-consuming venture, uh, it's because it is. At this point, book number two has become an all-consuming adventure. And um, adventure, it is an adventure. It is an adventure. I meant to say venture, but it's a yes and moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's But for both of them, it's become this obsession, one that through all of their time and all of their labor and even more of their time, it's it's taken a toll on their families. Right. Because at this point, it's been literally years of late nights and endless work cycles of writing and editing over and over and over. It's a lot. It is a very,
1: very much a lot. That vine was way, way overgrown, needed to... <laughs>
0: Good. Keep trimming that's that up. Yeah. Keep trimming
1: it back, but it keeps.
0: It's 20 branches it's got, here. Ooh, miracle wolf. grow on that vine. <laughs> I don't think he would actually want those chemicals. No. no. But listen, hey, <laughs> apparently he brought it to the table. <laughs> Uh, by the time they're at the, the, the last leg of book two, basically at the very final stretch, we get this unique little turn of plot that I was actually very thrilled by. Because in the first book, you understand how Tom works as an author and how it compelled he is to continuously write. And then mm-hmm. and Max has to then help him distill that to communicate with most important. But now on the eve of publishing his next book, we're given this deeper look into Maxwell's struggles, which is, which is a thrill because we don't always get that raw look into his personality. And now we do because it's not just just the burden of the author creating too much but the editor's fear of cutting too much away yeah and he's very open about this with tom we're talking about this highly highly experienced editor the man who actually discovered f scott fitzgerald and ernest hemingway
1: no big
0: deal no big deal just two of the most prominent authors who have ever graced the world ever lived (laughs) and and this the man who discovered that talent and now thomas Wolfe to add to the list is doubting his craft. No. What if I cut away too much? What if I'm deforming the books from you know how they were meant to exist? And he's now disclosing this to his friend, and I think that kind of drives home the transition from mentor to friend. You know, having that space to be vulnerable and need support, and just being able to trust his friend with that information, because mm-hmm. it not only adds depth to the character of Maxwell, which is great because it's super well acted, but it adds depth to the friendship, right, on a whole new level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you knew there was a butt coming, of course. <laughs> You remember I said it caused some, uh, let's say, undue stress on the families? Yep. Well, that same kind of stress from wherever it comes begins to splinter in just about every direction. At least for Thomas. Because he is, let's say, maybe less grounded. Oh, yes. More... I don't know, untethered? Definitely (laughs) true. He is a unique character. He really is. But as a point of contrast, right, earlier on when the years of late nights were first taking their toll in a way that we could see, Maxwell begins missing these important family moments, particularly this family vacation. And he commits to it. He's like, got to do the work. And so he, you know, he willingly lets that that distance come. But to his credit, he recognizes, you know, the value of his family, the people in his life, and he kind of comes around. And it's not a big scene, it's not this big to do, but you know that he knows yeah. what they're worth and mm-hmm. and you can tell that you know how he's been able to negotiate that mm-hmm. and just his priorities and that's like it's really it's kind of like a nice quiet unspoken thing like, Yeah. you okay Thomas on the other hand <laughs> <laughs> no. his, his life his priorities they've already destroyed his marriage at this point which is pretty sad but now in fact Ernest Hemingway makes the comment pretty soon he's gonna start believing what the papers say about him Woof. all of their accolades
1: dangerous place <laughs> oh, to be man.
0: when someone like Ernest Hemingway says of has the perspective and the experience to say you better listen boy <laughs> but he's not there for the conversation so he can't listen <laughs> but now his sense of self is beginning to cause problems, and it starts to damage his friendship after all this time with Maxwell. And that's like it's a hard moment, but mm-hmm. it's also one of really stern honesty. And it's a conversation you only have if you truly love and care about a person, because it's based on true events and real life doesn't always click back into place after a conversation like that. And now they just this. Yeah, it's rough, and it kind of stays rough. Thomas leaves his his writing partnership with Max because he he makes up this kind of BS excuse like, oh, I need a. That I can do it on my own. And you know that that's nonsense because he also walks away from the friendship. Right. The rift has begun. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. however, I'm a not going to spoil this, but B, I'm not going to leave you hanging. Their story does not end there, Yeah, but we are going to pick up a little further down the line where Tom finds himself again in the company of F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. where he decides to complain about the man who discovered them both. Bad move. Bad move. Bad move. Because F. Scott, he's not having it because Max was there for him when it really, truly counted and not right. as an editor, but as a friend. Mm hmm. And so, you know, Fitzgerald point blank tells Tom, look, that decent man believed in you and nobody else would. He has a genius for friendship and you've squandered it. There will come a day when you're not the success you are now and it's a long road then, believe me. Why hurt the one man who will walk that road with you? mm Wow. Mm, Yeah. I mean, it's that moment, that monologue is such a rich analysis of what Maxwell represents in this story. Yeah. Like, the story about famous authors suddenly places Maxwell as the cornerstone in their lives and yeah. the cornerstone of this story in a way that's like extraordinarily inspiring. It is. It, it holds a lot of weight. Cannot over-recommend this.
1: Yeah, very well told. And the themes of friendship and the way that that plays out, even in the midst of editing, is painful work. Sure. Uh, you don't even have to be a novelist to know that, you know, whether it's, you know, you're just writing an essay or, you know, you're working on a private
0: project. So much of yourself that's put into it, and it feels like that part of yourself is getting edited right so it is it is kind of a contentious arrangement
1: yes but almost every time that process is for the better clearly and at the end of all these things when it comes to of course (laughs) to bring it back around our relationship with the lord every time he cuts something it's always for our good when we can't understand it and he is the friend who will walk that road with us so why in the words of (laughs) scott Fitzgerald, why would we want to hurt the one man who will walk that road with us that's the story of genius. A lot of that is the thematic thrust of John.
0: It makes really me good. feel in all kinds of ways. It should come as no surprise when I explain the story. I was like ninety percent through it, and I'm like, well, "I haven't cried this whole time. I've made it through, didn't even tear up." And then uh, I did. Oh yeah, right at the end, I'm like it hit. Waterworks. Oh boy, hits so hard. That should surprise no one. <laughs> About either one of us. But I highly recommend it. It's it's quite a, it's really a meaningful story.
1: Yes, it is. Well, if you have questions about this, or you want to interact on other movies, anything like that, want to just shoot some other questions, send it a podcast at horizonschurch.net. Interact with us on social media. And if you are helped by this, enjoy listening, subscribe. Yeah. Give us an honest five-star review. The only kind. I love that. The only kind. Only kind of fives and only kind of honest. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening as always, and we will be with you next time.